the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash spot track in your browser. Register for 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app. Tell them who you like, and you're all good from there. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Monday. Happy weird, wild stuff for a guy living right down the road from uh, Buffalo Bills world here. That was uh, not a game to look back at fondly, but uh, certainly one that was fun to watch. Certainly a memorable game. I'll leave it at that. Here's the plan for today. Um, I'm going to take a look at a quick extension candidate from every NFL position. A rookie extension, a veteran extension, something along those lines. Just somebody who's standing out right now. A couple of names that are literally standing out and uh, our projected price points on those players. Then I bring in Cousin Dan. There's a 40-man roster deadline tomorrow in Major League Baseball. Edwin Diaz just kind of broke the, the relief pitcher stuff. I've got the full breakdown on that contract. Um, his thoughts on the whole relief pitching situation, how that contractually should work. And then we switch to the de- declaration that Shohei Otani is going to be an angel in 2023. What that means is there's some gamesmanship with that and just where that Angels roster is going amidst Mike Trout and his injury history, Otani's expiring contract, still no pitching on that roster, and an ownership change. So that's just a lot to swallow if you're an Angels fan, but that's the reality that you're living in. And uh, Dan and I have some decent conversations on where it all may end up for 2023, if not going forward. Little football first, little baseball at both. The all-week 10 NFL extension roster. Couldn't be more specific than that. It's just a really good time to take a look at some of these players. At least one per position here. I'm going to start with the quarterback, of course. I haven't talked about this guy enough. It's time. This team is scary. They're absolute must-see offense. Watch. Two is great when he plays. Great, obviously. And there's concern. I'm not going to get into that concern. I'm not going to dive deep into any of these players. I'm simply going to stay on the surface. Tua's up for an extension after this season. He's in that third-year window here. And he's playing himself into at least the conversation. So I'll stop there. I'll tell you where we have him valued. He started at 30-ish, 31-ish, coming into the year with just absolutely no no kind of resume to show for. And it's at 40 right now. And that doesn't really happen in our math. (laughs) Okay, It's hard to go from 30 to 40 using our algorithm. It's just something I've noticed over the years. And that's good. I think it should be strict. He's been that good. He's been that much better than 2021 Tua and 2022 over the first 10 weeks here. And it's been obvious. He's passed that eye test for sure. So we're talking at least, you know, four for 160 on its, on its early face. It's going to be bigger than that. I'm not going to dive into should they do it this offseason? Should they consider his concussion history? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just telling you, he's played himself into 10 million more, 10 million more per year right now on a mathematical basis. The running back, Saquon Barkley, of course. He is leading the league in rushing. I've got six bullet points here on Saquon Barkley, something I never thought I would be saying, but you know, he might catch 50 balls. And he might rush for 1,700 yards. Uh, got 35 carries against the, the worst defense in football in Houston. I mean, the Giants aren't afraid to use him. He is not afraid to be the old Saquon Barkley. It's exactly what he looks like. I'm going to knock on wood and hope this continues because he is fun as hell to watch and have on your fantasy team. <laughs> um, he entered week 10 at about $12 million per year. That's up to 12 and a half. It's just how, how it rolls. I mean, when you have 
big time production games right now at positions that don't generally pay well, you're going to move the needle. So he's pushing himself into the conversation of at least upper echelon. Do we get to Christian McCaffrey with Barkley or with anybody right now? Is anybody right now in that conversation catching enough balls to justify being basically a two-position player, which is what McCaffrey is? Still, I think Barkley has done enough. He came into the league with that mentality. He was obviously drafted to be that kind of player. I do think there's a limit to what that offense is allowing him to be, and that's fine. Whether it's protection for him, whether it's, you know, Daniel Jones is limited himself. Brian Dayball hasn't yet figured out how this thing should tick or doesn't have the roster yet. I think all those things could be true and probably are true. But if I tell you that mathematically he's a $12.5 million player, that probably sounds about right. That's cap-adjusted version of Joe Mixon. That's probably right. But the ceiling for Barkley versus a Mixon or versus an Aaron Jones or whoever else is in this kind of wheelhouse, financially speaking, is just so much bigger. And you never pay for, for what has happened. You never pay for what could happen. You, kinda, you should be paying for what you're seeing right now. And there's a really good chance that the injuries have dropped that ceiling for Barkley. But I don't think, I, I know for a fact, that's not what the agent's going to walk in and say. And I don't think the team believes that either. And I don't think there's any chance in hell that the Giants want to walk away from this situation. And I can't believe that I'm emphatically saying that. I think three months ago it was, my God, I can't even imagine a, a, a world where Saquon Barkley is getting an extension. I think the more surprising part is a lot of people think this should happen right now. Let's not even wait till January. Let's not even wait till March. I'm pretty sure the Giants have tabled that conversation and properly so. But let's talk real here. Let's say he finishes this thing out just like he's doing. And, you know, the Giants win one playoff round. Whatever happens, happens. It's a above-average season for the Giants and for him specifically from a statistical standpoint. The conversations have already started that he should be getting the $16 million plus and the $30 million no fully guaranteed. That's McCaffrey's high bar here. I, obviously, we have to consider it because the cap's at 218, excuse me, at 208. It might be 218, it might be 225 come next March. So just that alone, you know, if we're talking 8% of the cap, which is about right for the upper echelon running back, and then 46 to 48% of a, of a contract is guaranteed for a running back because you're not getting eight-year contracts, you're not getting quarterback deals here. Can we get to four years, 60 million with 28 of that fully guaranteed. So just a tick under McCaffrey's four for 64 with 30. Probably his agent won't like that. The agent's going to come in swinging with, you know, four for 75 with 35 million guaranteed at signing. I get it. Everything's inflated. And there's a world where Barkley can run the ball better than McCaffrey from a two, three down standpoint. Everybody's got the baggage right now. but. I just don't know that you're going to get teams or even one team to dive in this deep with any running back contract anymore. It, it's just, there's too much evidence to say, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? This regime did not draft Saquon Barkley. There's nobody in that room attached to Saquon Barkley's draft stock. So we can no longer look at him as, man, you can't just throw this away. Look at what they gave up. Look at what they did to bring this guy on the roster. That's gone. 
right? That's five years ago. That's an entire regime ago. There's a lot more smart and savviness to this, this Giants front office slash sideline coaching staff right now. So I don't think it's an accident that Barkley has now broken out in this new regime. And I also don't think it'll be an accident if this deal doesn't look like a historic top of the market running back deal. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this up a little bit smarter approach with this. And I realize I'm extrapolating on this one specifically. It's the right time to do this with Saquon. Let's just say he's franchise tag next year. And I think that's a maybe depending on the Daniel Jones situation. I think he can play himself into a franchise tag, Daniel Jones. He can play himself into unrestricted free agency. He can play himself into a Blake Bortles type extension. There's options there. But just assuming that Barkley's going to get slapped a tag is, to me, not a slam dunk. If you want to keep your quarterback, you're going to tag the quarterback. It's that easy. I mean, you just don't do it. You're not going to lose the quarterback. Now, I don't think there's going to be nine teams clamoring for Daniel Jones services, and there may be nine clamoring for Barkley's. So there is a, it's a debatable discussion in that regard. But let's just say he gets the tag. Let's, and let's assume that it's a $225 million cap and the tag is 12 and a half. Basically where he values. And that's been the case kind of for a while here. He's kind of been running that franchise tag value line for two seasons now. That means a second tag is $27.5 million over two years, or just under $14 million per year. So can the Giants just take that approach and say, look, it's been a rocky couple of years, injury-wise, production-wise, but we think we have this figured out. We certainly want to keep you for a year or two. Do the Giants just start with that number? Which is basically what I just gave you, right? $28 million fully guaranteed signing. I think that's the correct approach. We don't even care what the rest of this contract looks like. You want to take $17, 18000000 a year and be able to hang that highlight on your Twitter page? That's fine. As long as what this thing looks like when you dive all the way deep to the center, it's $28 million guaranteed over two years. I don't think, it, I don't think too many people are going to gripe at that especially knowing that Barkley has already made $38.5 million in the first five seasons because of where he was drafted in that fifth-year option. So in, in terms of running backs, this guy is already banked. So you want to add another $28 million to that, we're talking about $65 million in, in seven years. That's excellent coin for a running back. Now, no agent in the world is going to take that approach, ever. I mean, that's a rookie wage-scaled you know, contract. Again, though, that wasn't our decision if I'm the Giants. That wasn't our pick. We would never have slotted him number two overall, blah, blah, blah. I'm nickel and dime in a situation that's probably not going to be this complicated. You know, generally speaking, if a guy can play and he's considered to be one of the best at his position, he's just going to the top. So again, I'll tell you what the top is. 16 million a year, 30 million guaranteed at signing. That's the number. Can the Giants do a little bit better than that? Low, uh, you know, un- come a little under that? They're going to try. But at the end of the day, if this thing looks like $18 million a year and $35 million fully guaranteed, don't be surprised. Wide receiver. Obviously, the discussion today has to be around Justin Jefferson, who becomes extension eligible in January for the first time. Look, he's generational. 
he's a generational talent and you can slice and dice this any way you want. Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins. What would he look like with, you know, Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes throwing him the football? I don't think it freaking matters. This guy is quarterback proof right now. He holds a $27.5 million valuation. And some of you out there are already screaming and yelling at me because everything he's done should make him the highest paid wide receiver in football. And I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it right now. There's a very specific divide in wide receiver pay based on experience in the league. It's just something that has happened. I love it. I wish all the positions were following this path. But for right now, there's a distinct crop for rookie extensions. And at the present time, A.J. Brown's $25 million a year is the leader in the clubhouse for that crop, the second contract. Third contracts are Cup, Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, Devonta Adams. The third contract numbers are bigger, better, bolder, more guaranteed, and they sit above this conversation. Should Jefferson eclipse this conversation and go up there with Tyree Kills 30 and 72 million fully guaranteed? Probably. But mathematically, because we, we take age into factor, we take all this stuff into factor, he's 27.5 million, which means he's 2.5 million more than any other second contract in the history of the game. That's, that's where he is. So it's still an extremely strong valuation. It just comes with context. Now, you want to put him up there and say, it doesn't matter. We, we don't care that, you know, this is his second contract and he's, he's only 20-something years old. He deserves to be at the top of this list for the betterment of the NFL. He's the guy that's going to be pushing this game, and he should push it financially too. I'm in on that. You've sold me on that conversation. And by the way, he passes the eye test every week for this. But if we're going to kind of keep the status quo, he should slide in around that $28 million mark, which again, blows away the number two contract, but isn't quite yet to that third contract. I'm all for this hierarchy. I just don't think it's sustainable. Tight end, TJ Hawkinson. I think the trade to Minnesota made him millions, literally millions. I I think it's going to add two to three million per year onto his extension because of the the workload he's going to get, the availability he's going to get, and the visibility he's going to get in, in the postseason. I mean, he's heading into a big-time year. There's a fifth-year option next year, so the Vikings can slow play this if they want to, and they might have to if they decide to pay Jefferson because Cousins is on an expiring. There's some offensive line stuff to take care of, which looks good out there, by the way. So it's going to get expensive to keep Minnesota together, and that starts with the Cousins conversation. But if this thing can kind of stay together and there's a two- to three-year contention window for this team, Hawkinson's going to be a part of this conversation. And I mean, he was an $11 million tight end an an hour and a half ago. You know, he's one of those guys I've been watching. He's a fantasy guy, obviously. He's one of those players that just kind of flatlined. I mean, was literally not getting targeted in Detroit with their quarterback carousel. The golf stuff picked up a little bit. And now with Cousins, I think you're going to see him get 10 targets a week, six, seven catches a week. And he's already at $14.5 million. He's already in Hunter Henry land, which if you remember how Hunter Henry looked in, in the, you know, in, uh, with the Chargers before he became this shell of himself with the Patriots, that's, kind of what, that's the reverse of what's happening here. He's getting his Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry debut here with Minnesota at the perfect time. So even if he has to wait an entire year and he's got to you know, play out some of this fifth-year option and see what happens, blah, yada, 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 
he's going to be approaching that Mark Andrews, George Kittle type stuff because I think the production will be there at the end of the day. So huge trade for him, financially speaking, in my opinion. Offensive line. Back to the Giants. I've got two Vikings and two Giants in this list. Can you believe it? Andrew Thomas has just been rock, rock solid. He's the number one rated tackle, according to Pro Football Focus. He was up there last year. He has just quietly rounded himself into one of the best. Drafted number four overall. He's got all the, he checks all the boxes for a big time extension coming. And by the way, I've got him at four for 99, almost 25 million a year. That's historic stuff. So he's 23 years old. They don't need to touch him for a year and a half. I mean, they could franchise tag him. They could, they could go all the way down the line if they wanted to here. And they might if he's not demanding anything right now. But I'm telling you right now, this two year he's, he's had puts him in historic territory with offensive line pay. Uh, Nick Bosa is finally, knock on wood, consistently been Nick Bosa for a good stretch here. And he's one of those players that you knew he was going to get massive pay because he's just a freak. But the injury stuff just kept him, you know, kept everything, kept the numbers down, kept the games played down, which just, it just dings our math so much. And rightfully so. You know, you shouldn't get credited for games you're not playing. Well, that's finally worked itself out over the year and a half here that we were basing this off of. And he just surpassed his brother's number from a valuation standpoint. So it's about four for 110 in our system. The only, the only player, the only edge defender in the history of the game that's sitting atop of Nick Bosa right now is TJ Watt. Watt's at 28. I think we have Nick Bosa about 27.2 in our system. So he's right there. So when it gets this close and he looks like he looks, especially last night, just expect him to be going big, $30 million a year. He's going to the top of the, top of the market. He's going to reset this thing. And I expect that to happen soon with the 49ers. Defensive tackle, Quinn and Williams with the Jets. The whole Jets defense is ha- are having a moment. Uh, they're super young. They're super fast. Williams is headed towards the fifth year. Four for 66. And he's very much more a pass rusher than a run defender, which pays. That's where the money is. So he had a weird 2021. He had a really good 2020. So it's been kind of an, an A-B system right now. He's in his peak right now. This is as good as he's been. He's one of the top-rated PFF uh, interior defenders. Everything's kind of trending up for him. Now, if this Jets team can kind of hold the fort for the next nine weeks and he becomes a prominent name again, you go and get this contract. You know, you go and get four for 75 and get this thing done. Otherwise, the Jets may long play this because they've got a lot of holes still offensively to fill out. And I'm not sure they're convinced on Sam Dar- or, excuse me, Zach Wilson either. So there's a lot of reasons not to pay a defensive tackle right now in, in football. And not having your offense figured out is one of them. So this is one to watch because this player deserves the money, but they may put the waiting game on him. Speaking of which, the interior linebacker right now is Tremaine Edmonds, something I did not believe I'd be saying. Again, the, the, the Bills paid everybody, but they didn't pay this guy. They let him get to the fifth year. He's the leader of the locker room, you know, from everything we've heard internally. And he has just been an animal, (laughs) just an absolute animal. This is the first time in five seasons in four and a half seasons that you watch a game and you hear his name a half dozen times. He is in the right spot. He is making the right plays. He is finishing, executing the plays, just things that you weren't seeing over the first four four seasons in Buffalo here. Uh, he's a problem. He's a factor. And now he's a problem for Brandon Bean because I, I don't think this was a contract he was going to put on the books. 
And unless he thinks he can utilize a draft pick to re- replace this immediately, which is possible, he's going to have to pay it. Now, I don't have him in Shaq Leonard territory, or not even Fred Warner territory, right? Which is $19, 20000000 million a year. He's not there. He's not even C.J. Mosley for me, which is 18, 17, 18. He's around the 13, 14 million mark still, trending more toward 14, 14 and a half, which is like Zach Cunningham stock. The Bills have been really good at knocking two, three million off per year as kind of a team discount. I think there's a chance that could happen here, all things considered. You know, look, we had four years of what if and one year of hell yeah. To me, that screams tag. And I've talked about this before. I think he's a bona fide transition tag candidate. The Bills really don't have another tag candidate in the roster outside of Jordan Poyer, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, I still think I would slap the transition tag on there and see if another team comes in and offers them $16 million a year, at which case you say, we're not going to do that. You know, We're not going to do that. We'll figure it out in the draft. But there's, a, there's an outside chance still that four for 60 happens. There's an outside chance that, that Brandon Bean says enough is enough. Um, you were a good soldier kind of letting us get this thing to the finish line. We don't have the cap, you know, stability right now to slap a big tag on you. If you want to take a discount and stick with us at $12 million a year, four for 48, we'd love to have you for two more years guaranteed. If not, that's it. So to me, everything's still available for this, but it should be noted that this guy's having a career season at the perfect financial time. I don't really have a cornerback for you. All right. I mean, the, the names on the PFF list are fine, but they're, to me, the free agent list, the extension candidate list, I don't have a cornerback who's even going to make 12 million a year. You know, there's Jamel Dean in Tampa Bay. He's got two picks, 30 tackles. He, you know, he's a good run defender from a cornerback spot. That, that's a $10 million cornerback. You know, that's Bradley Roby. That's, Darius Williams, who got paid in with the Rams, even though some, I think they regret it right now. It's just a weak crop. So you'll see a couple names go. You'll see a bunch hit the market. You'll see a lot of guys sign for three for 27. <laughs> you know, I think that's just how it's going to be this offseason. But it's just a weird, weak crop right now. And speaking of Jordan Poyer, he is my safety. Because, uh, again, the weak crop there as well. All the safeties got paid over the past two years, except for Jordan Poyer. And... uh he showed his value on the field. He's showing how much he's valued when he can't be on the field. He's 32 years old. He's still an $11 million safety for us. I know that, you know, this thing is up to $18 million a year, and Harrison Smith got $16 million. He's still at 11. And I just told you what, what Brandon Bean demands out of his players, especially the ones getting into the 30s. I don't think he's going 12. I just don't. You know, he got it, he got it around 10 last time. I think three for 33 with a year and a half of that guaranteed is probably all Brandon Bean is willing to do right now. Unless the value that I'm talking about is even is multiplied by four inside that locker room, inside that clubhouse. And there's just an intangible factor that we can't monetize that he can. In which case, three for 39, you know, 20, 20 million guaranteed a signing. I'm not going to say don't do it. I'm just saying where our math is and where his age is, I don't think a lot of teams would do that. The Bills may have to. All right, Dan, a couple of big uh, baseball deadlines coming up here. We just had, 
don't know, kind of our first one with the qualifying offer stuff. The 14 qualifying offers. Anything surprise you there? We really haven't talked about this yet. Um, not overly. There were a couple ones that didn't get done that I think we both thought were yeah. a little surprising. Mitch Han- I think Mitch Hanniger was definitely a name out there, but we understand Seattle's situation. They're going to, I think they're going to be unbelievably aggressive this offseason. So, um, Tyler Anderson with the Dodgers, is that just, he's take it. We want you for one more year anyway. Might as well take this. Is that what that's going to be? Sounds like it to me. They, yeah obviously have um, at least a short-term need at pitching, probably a longer-term need also, but I don't think he's a guy they want to get into a multi-year contract with. So um, I I think that's not that he's, uh, not that his career is in a similar place as Kershaw, but I think it's similar to that where they're willing to maybe, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they're maybe willing to overpay him um, for, uh, for one year to kind of, to run it back and then figure it out beyond. But um, I mean, I, I don't really know. Like, is he, I, I don't even think we have him valued that no, high. Do we no. on a multi-year deal? No, he's 32 years old. This was like his one big year. I, I think it's, it's like a franchise tag in football. I, I got to see it again before we're doing anything about this. So I think it's perfect. Um, Jock Peterson. That one surprised me, especially if the Giants are about to pay a shitload of money for more power, right? Yeah, they must. I know. Good point. I mean, I don't know what to think about that one. They they must think he's got and going to get enough interest to get a multi-year deal where he's going to kind of punt on that. Otherwise, I mean, I mean, um, I mean, do they think that or do they value him like a Kyle Schwarber? Is that what this is? Possibly. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, I think they like him a lot, but he also had a really good year. I think he, I, I guess it ultimately depends on how they want to run that team going forward. Like he was a platoon guy that, um, you know, would even start games and get pulled really early in the game. If, um, you know, the starter got, got pulled early and they had to kind of switch sides there. So I, I don't really know what to think of that one. I, I, it seems like they might be trying to squeeze the draft pick compensation out of it more than, Keep they have up. intentions of actually bringing him back, but I, I, I could definitely be wrong on that. I, I have a feeling he signs that. <laughs> that's just my, that's just my guess. But um, for a guy who played on one for six this year and to, to get an, a twenty million dollar offer for one year, that's at least uh, flattering from him, his perspective. Um, I mean, it sounds like the Evaldi stuff is already evolving into a multi-year extension. Anthony Rizzo is not signing this thing, right? I don't think so, no. Why do I keep reading that he's about he's going to sign this and stick with the Yankees for one more year and then test the market again? He's 33 years old, Dan. I, I, it's a good question because typically we like to rag on these like first base only right. type guys, but he, he does offer a profile that should age nicely as he ages, like rather than some of these like really one dimensional guys. He's a very good defender. He's a high OBP guy. Um, yeah. He's he's never going to hit you know 280 again, but he does take a lot of walks. He's a really good top of the order asset. So um, I do think there's a ton of value there. So he, if he does sign it, I think there is a legitimate chance he still can fetch a multi-year contract going forward. Rather, some you know as these 
first baseman DH types age, we typically don't feel very confident that they're going to find multi-year deals in the market. I think Rizzo is a guy that actually could. So no doubt. I think he gets a four-year deal and it's basically the end of his career, but I, I just, I don't know why. Yeah. You think it happens this year, right? Yeah. I mean, mean, you think he could just get it this year instead of just running it back with the Yankees and and waiting a year and do it right No, I I, actually, I think the Yankees should pay it right now. I think the Yankees should be making a four year offer to him right now. I truly do, but that's, uh, it's not my money, I guess. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Tomorrow's a big deadline. It's kind of not a sexy deadline. This is the one that the true baseball nerds know about and really not much more. It's the 40-man lock, 40-man protection deadline, which means if you've got some you know, prospects or superstars sitting in your minor position right now that are not on the 40-man roster and they're out of options and things like that, if they're rule, you know, if they're rule five draft eligible, this is where good players get stolen by good teams. So I know this is the kind of stuff you geek out on. There's a lot of teams right now sitting at 40-man on their roster. Does that just mean that they're comfortable? Or are we going to see some serious action over the next 24 hours? Because we're talking those Giants are at 40. The Braves are at 40. The Angels sit at 40 right now. You know, your Cleveland Guardians sit at 40. They're always active this time of year. The, you know, the Blue Jays are hanging right there. Tampa Bay sitting at 40. I've, I've heard nine names that could fall off that roster tomorrow. Um, what, what are we in for here over the next 24 hours? Is it, is it, you know, a lot, but not many names? Is that what's about to happen? Kind of like a lot of no-namers getting tossed around? Yeah, I I tend to think that like as is the 40 man is not like you do have to clear the way at a certain point. But like as as roster sit right now, there's still room to move. Right. I mean, like just because a team has 40 on the roster now does not mean that they're not going to make a move to to then add players like like the Mets have 31 players on their roster, tons of room to move. Other teams are going to keep 40 and play it out and, and kind of see how things play out over the next 24 hours. So yeah, there will be a number of guys moved. Um, like the, the Mets might target a team that has a roster crunch and can add um, guys to the 40 man pretty easily rather than te- these teams who already have a crunch and kind of really need a significant upgrade in order to, um, right. you know, to improve their roster. So. Right, like the Tigers who sit with forty because they're happy. Clearly, like sarcasm. They sit and be happy. Yeah, right. Well, right, but that's there's they probably have a list of guys that they have no problem moving no off doubt. of immediately. Yeah, there's a chopping too, block so, on that roster. Yeah. There's no question about it. That's the it. thing. I it's just organizationally how each of these teams handle it and their specific situations. So yeah, no, I like it quite a bit. Um, I just expect, you know, I, I, at least a half dozen trades. I think are coming here. By the way, trades opened up November 10th, if you didn't know that out there. It's a, it's a wide-open system right now, even though it doesn't feel like it. There's no television shows talking about Major League Baseball free agency, but it's available. We have some contracts. I want to talk about a couple here. Um, Dan, I got the full breakdown on Eddie Diaz. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, this one's a mouthful. This one is quite a contract. And we've talked about whether it was the right time for this contract. Um, there's just a lot to this thing. It's not exactly a full no trade clause. I want to start there. It's three years of full no trade. And then the back end of this thing, he's only got 10 teams he can block. So the deferred payments are crazy. He's, he's getting some Bobby Bonilla type shit from 20, 2033 to 2042. Uh, you know, it's almost 48 million over the next three years. Is this just too much? 
Just tell me, just tell me off the top is, is all of this. I mean, without going into super a ton of detail, I did an article on this at spotchart.com that breaks down every single point about this contract. Um, is this just too much for any one relief pitcher or are we at a, at a point in time now where when a guy's this good, you just do it. It's a layered question, obviously by market size, in my opinion, the Mets, the, this is, this feels to me there. I know it didn't work out, but when, when they signed Cespedes in a few years ago, coming off of that world series run, it felt like he was a player they needed to bring back um, because he was such a bit, he was going to play such a big role on that roster. I think the, uh, there's a ton of question marks in the bullpen. Um, I mean, it's a, it, you can ask the question, is this the right way to build a team? I'm not here to argue that it is. Yeah. The player itself, though, I don't have a problem with his contracts. He's an elite pitcher. Um, he has an extremely good track record. He's still relatively young, which we have talked about, compared to um, you know elite-type relievers hitting the open market. They're typically a little bit older than this. Um, and, I mean... <laughs> It's sort of this is sort of supply and demand too. We're all like teams are already looking around at the reliever market and saying, "Where the hell are we going to get an impact arm from?" Yeah. So, if they didn't do this deal, I don't know what they would have done to improve their roster. Now, it kind of sucks they had to spend this kind of money to just kind of keep the status quo there. Maybe, I mean, their bullpen could, in theory, be worse than it was last year unless they make some some you know really savvy decisions there, but. Um, I don't, I don't have a problem. It is a lot. If this was a smaller market team, I might be a little bit more concerned um, with the direction they're building. But I mean, it is Steve Cohen. It is the Mets. They're going to spend more money than this. Like this is not the only move they're making this off season. So um, it's a, it's a lot, but I, I still think there's more to come. And, and when we zoom out, it, all the pieces should probably fit together a little bit better, but it is a little bit puzzling like to just build from your back end like this, but Okay. What do you, I mean, are you trying to say you think it's just flat out too much? No, no. I, I think coming into this, we all knew he was getting 20 million a year. Um, I didn't expect everything else. There's so many bells and whistles. I mean, a player, yeah, that's fair. The, the no trade clause. I mean, I mean, this is just a hell of a lot of power for a ninth inning guy. It really is. It, it's, it's a hell of a lot of contractual power for a position that is so specified. I mean, it's not, I, I you know, I try to, compare things to other sports. I don't think I can do that with this. The closer has always been this kind of anomaly situation because it's so specified. It's so small in terms of the whole season. You know, it's what, is it 60 innings? He pitched 62 innings last year, you know, and he's got all the power of any starting pitcher in the game, or he's got as much power as Aaron judge is going to get. Let's put it that way. Aaron judge is going to get a contract that looks just like this, but you know, twice as big. That's what this is going to be, Dan. There's going to be an opt-out. There's going to be a no-trade clause. So I, I just have trouble with giving contracts that look and smell like 162 games, nine innings to something so small. And you can say that's discriminatory, but I don't know. At some point in time, things have to be partitioned here, right? I mean, especially if the tax is going to be a problem at some point. It's going to be, by the way. So your Cespedes comment is interesting. I, didn't, had never, I hadn't brought that into the conversation at all. But is this just a little bit of new ownership still, right? Is this guy just kind of showing how new he is and doing this immediately? Do you at least let him go out there and get offers like this from other teams before you settle on this? Because again, wink, wink, nobody else was negotiating with him at the time that he signed this contract, right? Now, maybe there were offers that everybody knew about, 
to this regard? It had to be this strong and stable and rock solid for the player? Yeah, I, mean, I, I have literally no idea, but I, I, I want to believe that maybe all of the bells and whistles that got worked in were the, the price of not going to the open market. Like they, yeah. the Mets had to know that this was like, like, I don't think Steve Cohen blew the doors off the market with this contract. I think no, it's that right exactly you, where you, we thought it was going to be. You're right. It, 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 exactly. So if, if this is like, you know, sign with us, we'll give you these opt outs. Like, and, and the, the Mets might want opt outs. We've talked about how yeah. the window for this team is short and they really don't want to be getting into like a seven year reliever contract when the, when, you know, the, the prime on these guys are so short and there's so many, you know, there's such high variance at the back end, despite Diaz being one of the more consistent guys over the last, you know, five or six years. So, and they did get deferred money, which helps. I mean, that knocks two, two and a half, two and a half million off the, the tax payroll. So they did, they did get that win. So maybe that was part of the trade-off as well for the bells and whistles. But um, look, when you look at, you know, Rafael Montero, he did three for 34 and a half. Robert Suarez, which is like the story of the off season here. Guy was playing in Japan for years comes in and basically just bypasses all of team control, scores himself 46 million over the next five years. That's a hell of a contract for a, a guy who's going to be sitting behind Josh Hader, I think, or is, is, is that a conversation well, we have to start having here? Well, so you, you, you see the contract there's, there's end ending. I forget how they phrase it. Right. But it was like, if he finishes a certain amount of games, the, the contract kind of balloons significantly. So significantly, what yeah. they're trying to say there is if he all this, they're trying to build in the safety net that if he does become the closer that he gets paid appropriately for it. And I kind of like that. And I also think that's, I think that supports us saying Diaz or at least me saying Diaz sort of deserves that because that's like a pretty significant contract for a guy that, yeah, we don't really know what to expect, and we don't even know if he's going to close, right? But he he could be a closer. So if that's the market for like the next in line, like I, I'm fine paying up for Diaz if that if that if that's the market price, right? No, it, you're right though. There's clearly an effort to start finding saves from everybody because I'm starting to see these games finished or appearance bonuses everywhere in every contract. And by the way. I'm seeing it in a lot of starting pitcher contracts too, where guys, they know they're going to be doing both duty, right? They're going to be a long reliever. They're going to be a starting pitcher. They're a number four or five starting pitcher. You're seeing more and more of those. I think Chris Flexen, a player who's probably going to get traded in the next hour and a half here, is that kind of player. His next contract is going to look like, could be an eighth inning guy, could be a fourth starter on the, in, the, in the rotation. So it's, you're right. There's, it might be easier to find three good starting pitchers than one ninth inning guy right now. Is that fair? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And a number of teams are going to just go to these raise type committees where they just, they're just playing matchups. Right. Um, and they, because it really is a a dying breed. I mean, I hate to like give closers more credit, but I think it's been publicly spoken about enough that like when the game's on the line and high leverage situations are largely going against, um, the prime of their order or, you know, better matchups off their bench. Like it is a difficult spot to be in, you know, like this is not just like the punter or the kicker in football, best job in sports, even though there is some pressure there that you just run out there a few times, you know, a few times in a season and and have an impact. Uh, It is a difficult job. So I do think to find these, 
these bona fide closers is going to be kind of difficult and you'll see teams start just like piecing it together based on matchups. But man, if this is the cost of one, I I don't know what the right (laughs) way to build is. Right. Yeah. The kicker stuff, super fascinating because it's not like we've seen one kicker in, in NFL history be so damn good that he's, he's worth 10 million a year. You know, we're, we just hit her high and I think it's six in kickers and that's Tucker and he is the best of all time. So, you know, I guess this is just becoming so difficult to do this, this closing role, this ninth inning role that if you've got a guy that shows 80%, 85% of the time, he's the guy you're just going to have to do this to keep him. It's nuts. It's a big, big contract. I, I don't, how many franchises would have done this? If Edwin Diaz hits the open market, I mean, how many teams would have done 20 a year for Edwin Diaz? Truthfully. Um, I think you probably have three, maybe three. Wow. I, I think, I think there's a number you, 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 what do you think? Not less. So you're saying Dodgers, Phillies, Mets. Is that it? But the Yankees have done this. Um, no, I, I don't think, think so either. um, I think they like the options they have at the back end. I mean, would the Rangers have done this? This, I bet you there's five. I bet you there's that's five. The t- yeah. So I think Boston would have sniffed. They have been a mess at the back end now for a number of years. Like if, if they're going to start spending money, I, I think you could spend it in worse spots than Edwin Diaz, as I have already laid out. So I do think they'd be a team. Yeah. I think there's a number of teams that, would be in on him because yeah. I mean, you start, I'm telling you, you start looking around and then it's Kenley Jansen and in Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell again. David it, Robertson. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it does drop off quickly. In fact, I think Met, the Mets might have the three best bullpen arms of uh, hitting the open market and Diaz, Adovino and Lugo. <laughs> I think every team wants either of those guys right now. So it's a, uh, it's a fascinating conversation. You're right though. It got bare quick. Well, in, I mean, it it hasn't been talked about and I haven't dug into it enough, but these teams that have maybe two or three guys like Seattle, um, uh, like Baltimore with, a, with these teams with maybe several potential options that they're sort of trying to figure it out. You might see one of these contenders go target one of them in the trade market sure. as opposed to just taking the total flyer on these you know, these aging veterans, you know, so it's fascinating. Yeah, it, like, it, like Andres Munoz probably deserves sure. to be a closer in the league, but he's been used in a high leverage role in Seattle, which is fine. If that, that's how they want to utilize him. But um, a team might come and try and try and swoop in and grab one of those guy, types of guys. So it, it certainly didn't surprise me that the first three free agent signings were relief pitchers. Let me put it that way. Um, just sort of how things work. This is generally the, the, the one area where every team looks at their season and, from a month and a half ago and says, if we had two more bullpen arms, maybe we're, maybe we're still playing right now. You know what I mean? Um, exactly. Real quick on Josh Hader. I, I, it's, I, I know the language is there and everybody's reading it and probably reading into it. He's going to enter his final, his final team control year, right? An ARB for $12 and a half million dollar projected salary. They're going to let him ride this out, right? They're going to, San Diego's going to give him a chance here. As the closer, yeah. or like you mean not sign him long term? He's, he's not a trade candidate right now, right? I mean, he was phenomenal down the stretch there. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he was, but I certainly don't think they're like looking to extend him. Um, okay. 
just trying to get my ducks in a row here because I do think there's going to be some movement. Like I said, 24 hours or so, and then it'll stop until early December when those winter meetings start, and that's when the Otani stuff starts up. And by the way, can we talk about that for 30 seconds? The GM coming out and saying he's going to be an angel in 2023? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't totally buy it, okay. but... Okay, I absolutely don't buy it. To me, to me, that was... I haven't gotten the offer I wanted yet, so I'm going to zag and give you the exact st- statement that you want to hear, which is he's not tradable, which means you're going to call with your best offer. That's what that is to me. It's total gamesmanship. I, I actually don't think they want to trade him, Dan, but they want to be blown away. They want somebody to come in with... Because they, they, they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to fix this team. And I don't blame them. They've tried every which way for five straight se- off seasons. And they're on GM number three now, right? So I, I don't blame them. This is one guy who can fix this team by, by going away. I mean, if they could get a haul of experienced and top prospects for that guy right now, that can fix their franchise. So I just think that's a, that's a shot to the world to say, We'll keep this guy if we have to, unless you bring three A's and two B's. And I do think that starts to happen. I really do. Yeah, so sort of two two caveats on this. I don't really know how much less his trade value is at this upcoming deadline as opposed to it. what it's expiring, yeah. Yeah, so like for a team to come in and trade for him right this minute, I don't really know if they're going to get that much bigger of a haul than they just wait. If they just wait until the deadline. Now they, they should have traded him last deadline where you could have gotten multiple years of a playoff run, but they didn't do that. And that's okay. The other factor in this is the team sale from what I have heard. Yeah. It it sounds like they have decided that from sell a, a team sale perspective that they're better off keeping him in the organization rather than, but sell, come on. And every, sell. every owner knows anybody who's buying this team knows he's going to be gone after this year. See, I don't, I don't agree with that though. I, I, I think he likes it there. And if they're willing to come, I mean, should they, should they be building around him based on their current timeline? I, I don't think so. No, but I, I, if, if they judge that the, the franchise is more valuable with that player to do a sale. I don't think that a new owner is going to come in and be eager to get rid of that biggest asset right away. I mean, we talked about this with the Washington Soto stuff, right? Like yeah. is that franchise more valuable with him? And if so, how is the new owner perceived if he comes in and immediately deals the franchise player that helps you win a world series? I mean, it is slightly just different circumstances, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying he is going to be there long term. I'm just saying the way this is playing out, if if the if the franchise values him more from that perspective, keeping him there, I think there's at least a chance he stays there long term because he he does seem to like it there. He both sides have played this very very lightly, where he has said nothing bad about them. They have said all the right things about him. Um, other places he would end up is pretty much New York and L.A. So like I, I don't. <laughs> Can, you know, like, can I make one more uh, point? I, I don't know. Because I, I don't, yeah, don't want to just sit here and shit on the whole situation. This team was really good for like two and a half months. Really good. I remember sitting here with you and talking about the Angels. I think they have it figured out. I think a couple of these pitchers can really hang. 
Mike Trout was Mike Trout. And then Mike Trout got hurt, like really hurt. And everything went to shit. Are we talking about the wrong guy here? Because Mike Trout's been hurt every year now for three straight seasons. And this past season, am I, am I, mis- am I misremembering this, Dan? This was a good team, right? This was like a, a top of the division team for a while here. They were hanging um, for a while and they were sort of just like a wild card contender for maybe the first six or eight weeks. But um, yeah, they hit a platoon really hard. Um, okay. And then, it, I mean, that's when it, it all fell apart and uh, Madden got fired, et cetera. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, what you're saying, you think that they should be trying to trade, like, no, I, work around o- Otani and trade trout sort of thing. No, I, I can't. I don't think trout is, is a trade candidate. I really don't. I, I don't hear that he is. I don't believe that he is. Um, I just wonder what happens if these two are, are fully healthy for a whole season. I guess that's all I'm saying. I, is the, is the rest of the roster really that in rough, in rough of shape? Answer that question to me. It's not, it's not great to be honest. I mean, I, I do think they're headed in the right. Okay. Two things here. I think I like Perry Manazian. And I think he's a a good GM. He's done good things. He's really expanded the scouting department. Um, We saw two drafts ago, they spent all their draft picks on pitchers, like 20 straight pitchers. Um, I I think they are headed in the right direction, but a full front office and organizational turnaround like that takes multiple years. You don't see the payoff of pitching development for three to four years down the line. So I do think he's headed in the right direction. I think they could take another step once Artie Moreno gets out of the picture. There's tons of rumblings that he's too involved. He puts money in the wrong places. He gets involved at the wrong times. Um, right. So I, I do think if they give a new ownership plus a good GM in front office, I do think they're headed in the right direction. I just don't, the timeline to me doesn't, doesn't match up to kind of extend. Ot- I know I just said, I think Otani's there longer if they no, have a new owner. And that's but, why I brought this part of the conversation into it. Is It's not the right timeline. Are you just no. paying Otani as a, as a circus ride? It's truly. Because that's kind of how, how you're phrasing it. You know, the, the owner's not going to get rid of this guy who, who puts butts in seats, but I just don't know if that's even a thing anymore. Right. Uh, that's why I'm not, I, I'm like, I can't land exactly on how I feel about this. I'm just sort of putting all of this together and there's, From there's what no I've heard. question there's pitching depth coming. They, they literally spent their entire last draft on pitching. 30, and they're trying at least. It doesn't always work. Right. It doesn't always work out. I mean, the Royals have tried this and failed miserably yeah. at it. So I, it, it's not guaranteed that, the, I mean, Colorado to a certain extent has tried this too. It, it's not guaranteed that it's going to work, but it, in my opinion, it's the right way to at least try and I, let's I, I see how it all plays out. But I actually think... Well, I'm I'm going to stay with my original comment. I, I do think there will be a team or two that throws a massive haul for Otani at the winter meetings. That's going to happen. Whether they say yes or no, obviously that's a different conversation. I also know, because I've spent half my October life, you know, researching and, and diving into this stuff. This is one of the best starting pitching free agent crops we've ever had. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. You got superstars, you got bees. You got number fours and fives you could pay $6 million to and get in your house tomorrow. Uh, the Angels could buy themselves a rotation right now like they've never been able to do. Uh, just, just flat out buy it. And now they're in the middle of this sale. <laughs> and Ar- Artie Moreno's not going to spend a freaking dollar. 
So is this sale going to get done in the next week so that this new owner can be a part of these? No. That, that's the worst part of this to me is you have, you know, Rendon is a mess. I don't even know what to do with that thing. But Mike Trout posted a six war in 119 games last year. That's unbelievable. Uh, that's impossible. Uh, Otani posted a five war. Just hit, you know, So I, I don't even know what to do with those two. And then also knowing they could literally buy themselves a pitching staff right now. They could spend an ungodly amount of money on a crisp ass, you know, on, on really good bees and, and push this thing through and, and not compete with Houston, but maybe compete with Seattle right now. So they could go $250 million this offseason, or they can do absolutely nothing. And then I don't know where you are next year with a new owner. So the Otani stuff plus the new ownership was never a selling point for me because. You're just not going to be better. You're not going to be better right now unless you're right. You're waiting four years for the prospects to grow up. And the, the timelines just don't sink for me with this team. It's a weird situation. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it, man. I just, like, I get, I get it. I think Mike Trout has earned the respect to, to kind of. I do too say, I want to stay. I want to go from that perspective. But if there's any inkling that he would like to leave town. I, they absolutely should be doing that. And they should absolutely be trying to get Ota, the most they can for Otani. I mean, it, it says something that you have two of potentially the best players on the planet yeah. and you're, and you were not even close to a wild card spot, right? That says a lot about the rest of this roster. I, I am totally eating crow. I like this team a lot coming into the year. That man, the depth here is very non-existent. I mean, when you start looking down this roster, yeah, like David Fletcher, Luis Rangifo, Jaime Berea, like yeah, we're just like the, beyond those two superstars. It's it's very very thin. I mean, even Rendon is. I, I sort of like him as the player, but he's obviously way overpaid. Um, man, I just I, I don't. Right, it's tough. Think signing pitchers, not it, none of it would work out. I just think they need to, they need to stay on their timeline, which is three to four years down the line, and get what they can on those players, and just just gut it for now. But I don't know if that'll happen. All right, so then where where do you stand with Otani? I, because there's also the the Mookie Betts side of this, right? Can they even get the haul they're demanding right now? Or is Alex Verdugo, Jeter, Downs as good as they're going to do? You know. Yeah, they, I think that maybe it's a little bit more than the Mookie Betts package, mm-hmm. but I don't really have a lot to go off of, of that. Ultimately, I don't think he moves this winner. I think he's more likely to move at the deadline. Um, I do agree with you, though. I don't think he's he's on that roster necessarily at the end of the season, like they have publicly said. So, Well, they did say start of the season, so there's some gamesmanship there, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Little wordplay. All right, good stuff. We'll keep up with it. All right, thanks. All right, my thanks to Dan. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track right now. We'll be back with uh, a roundup of this 40-man stuff, some week 10 lookbacks from the NFL, and some NBA stuff because there are some really low-priced teams projected to be bad teams at the top of these NBA divisions. Crazy stuff. And uh, the Warriors are 0-7 on the road, just as we expected, right? For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>